0: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you, and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. Amen. I think this is one of those lessons that unfortunately suffers from Sunday school syndrome. We have grown up hearing these so long, they've lost their power. But I was thinking about it, what would Jesus preach if I could call him down from his throne on heaven and say, hey Lord, would you mind covering a Sunday for me? And I don't think he'd have preached any different sermon Then when he came down from heaven, took on flesh, was out on that mountain that one day, and here you go, Jesus, it's your shot. What do you want to preach? This is Jesus's sermon. This is what he came to say. No more, no less. Now the Beatitudes, they are the entry to Jesus's sermon on the mount. They sum the whole thing up. And from what we can tell, in the ancient world, they're a common form of teaching for what the good life is. So the Greeks, even the Hebrews, they had these sayings that, well, the good life is the person who's smart. Not really that rocket science but Jesus has a unique form that's not found in any other literature from the period. And that's the, the second bit. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, but his addition, for they will inherit the earth, seems to be an innovation that was unique to Jesus and was his unique own preaching style. Which actually makes things slightly exciting, because one of the changes in biblical scholarship is a lot of the critical stuff from the 80s and 90s is nowadays considered bunk. It used to be that Matthew's Beatitudes were always contrasted with Luke's. You may remember sermons or being taught as a kid that in Luke, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor. And Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And for a long time, they figured it was the same sermon and Luke was remembering it one way and Matthew was remembering it another. From what we can tell, it's probably most likely Jesus preached the sermon on more than one occasion and changed it up as he went along. Because all throughout the Gospels, this particular form of saying, blessed are such and such for such and such, shows up in 10 different spots throughout Matthew's Gospel alone. So this is Jesus's big sermon, but this is also his unique way of thinking coming to us. And so we shouldn't think Matthew is spiritualizing something or Luke is radicalizing something. This is what Jesus meant to say on the day he said it. Now, one question that comes up quite a bit is a lot of this gets pawned off by the word blessed. We say, oh, blessed. So we make it. Well, this is something for saints. And in fact, there are many traditions in the Christian church today that look at the Beatitudes as something for the future. So we hear, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, that can't be now, right? That has to be in the future. Or the meek, well, everyone's going to pick on them. So are they really going to inherit the land? So the Beatitudes always have typically been tossed as into something for when it's heaven time and when we're all saints and we have halos. But in Matthew, the very first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's whole gospel is about Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom has already come, that it's here and it's something you can have today. So as we look at the Beatitudes and as we continue throughout this sermon, we're going to see some things that just whack us one too. There's always an aspect of now and not yet in the New Testament And Paul didn't come up with it. It was inherent to Jesus' preaching style. So, okay. Let's dive into our text today. Now, the first problem is that word blessed. I think it gets used because, well, Jesus is saying it. So, of course, well, yeah, if Jesus says blessed, well, they're blessed. The problem is, is the word here, blessed, in Greek, is not the big theological concept of God smiles on these people. Which is how we typically read this passage. We tend to read, well, God smiles on the poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed here much more translates as happy. Someone who's got the good life. The best word I could come up to translate it is enviable. Jesus, in using this familiar word, is using a term philosophers would say, this is how you make it. So Jesus isn't saying so much blessed as in God loves those who are poor in spirit, although that is meant. What he's more saying is envy those who are poor in spirit. It's enviable to be those who mourn. Happy are the meek. So let's get into these main ideas of what it means to be enviable in Jesus' viewpoint. Look at verse three. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the poor in spirit is a familiar biblical term from the Psalms. And Jesus is here calling up the Old Testament. And this isn't necessarily a new statement to his listeners. In the Psalms, we see especially this juxtaposition between the poor in spirit and the arrogant rich. Now, Luke, in his gospel, makes it straight-up poor people versus straight-up rich people. But by going for the spiritual aspect, what Matthew is more pointing on is that these people are poor in spirit and that they know their dependence on God. They know that if they come to the altar, they ain't got what it takes to meet muster. These are people who know they need God's grace and they need his mercy. The spiritual rich are those who are arrogant. They've already made it. They've got good works. They've tied their mint. They've tied their cumin. They do everything. And they know no matter what, they can waltz right up to God. Hey, man, hey, man, they're getting in. Jesus is here initially kind of smacking the way we tend to think of religion right in the eyeballs. We tend to think always that it's the person who can read through the New Testament and say, yep, done that, yep, done that, yep, done that, that gets in. Jesus is saying, no, it's always the people who look, maybe pop their collar uncomfortably a bit, who realize they need grace. They get the kingdom of heaven. Then we get to verse four. This one is just interesting. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, this shows how silly it is if we just try to break these two parts a bit, because happy are those who mourn just doesn't make sense. But what does it mean to be happy for those who mourn? Well, again, this is one of those cases where I have to go to Greek and grammar and all that stuff no one really cares about. But the word mourning here is not primarily bereavement. This isn't someone who's lost somebody who's close to them. This is mourning that says the world stinks. Jesus is saying happy are all of you who are unhappy with the way the world runs, that aren't satisfied with What's going on out there? And why are they happy? Well, this is the first one that binds to a promise. For they will be comforted. Jesus is saying, get upset. It's okay. Because you will be comforted. And we come to the next one. Envy the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Well, the meek here... That doesn't mean a weak, wimpy, lame person too much. What it really means is someone who doesn't throw their weight around. Jesus himself is described as weak, as uh, me. He's got almighty cosmic power, but he doesn't lord it over anyone else. He comes to serve, not to be served. Now, this is where Jesus starts to change the way we normally think. Because isn't it the way in our lives that the guy who's strong, who takes what he wants who has drive he's the one who gets what he wants in life the person who's meek who gives way who says oh no it's okay you take yours they become the wimps and the losers as far as we see it but jesus is saying no the meek will inherit the earth and the word there is the land the very planet itself when we come to verse six blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be filled, filled and the word righteousness there in most of the rest of the new Testament means God's judgment. So we think, well, okay, blessed are those who want to see God judge everybody because they're going to get it. Uh, <laughs> what's really being said here is blessed are those who hunger and thirst to actually be righteous. This is where Jesus says in John, my food is to do the will of my father. Jesus is saying all those who come to him who want to be righteous, who struggle at it, who can't quite get there, who get caught up in the besetting sins, who try again and again and cannot seem to fix their life, aren't those the ones that us religious so easily write off? But Jesus is saying they are blessed because they will be filled. God has promised that he will give all those who thirst after righteousness, living that good life, They will be filled. And Jesus' word here is stuffed. It's a colloquialism. It's a word for feeding, well, they're Jewish, so not pigs, but it's the same effect. Jesus is saying, long to be righteous. God will give you so much righteousness, you won't know what to do with it. Then we come to blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. All throughout this sermon, Jesus is going to make forgiveness contingent. It's the only part of the gospel of grace that is reciprocal. Jesus says, you do not forgive, I won't forgive you. And as we see when we get to that, he's very tough on it. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. And Mercy is a lot more than just forgiveness. And blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Well, the New Testament is very clear that a physical vision of God doesn't come in this life. But Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, the same Gospel, I think it's chapter 10, but don't quote me on it. Christ says that the angels of these little ones, they always see the face of the Lord. So Jesus is saying that all those with pure hearts, the angels of themselves, and it's not one singular angel, it's all of them, they view God and they call down his blessings for them. And we get to, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now this is something that Jesus is going to spend a great deal of time on in his sermon. A good way to point out the difference in Jesus' thinking versus his contemporaries is a story about two rabbis about ten years before Jesus started to preach. A Roman pagan asked the rabbis, hey, you guys have a whole bunch of rules and laws. Can you sum the law up in the time that I can still stand on one foot? The one rabbi said, no, I can't sum. I can't cut off any of it because you have to keep the whole thing. The other rabbi decided he'd go ahead and give it a shot. His summation looks sort of close to what we're familiar with. He says, do not do to others what you would not want done to yourself. After 2,000 years of preaching it, we as Christians miss the novelty that there's pretty much in no religious thinking up till this particular sermon that there's a positive take on that. Christ, when he's speaking about peacemaking, is saying, do unto others positively what you would want done to yourself. So Jesus is saying to be a peacemaker, you don't just not do things. He's saying, you go out of your way to do things, even if they cost you. And as we shall see, Jesus will ban his disciples from the laws of retribution, not because they are wrong, but because they shall no longer be needed in the kingdom of heaven. Peacemaking is something costly, but in doing it, it's how we earn the title children of God. And finally, we come to blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Envy those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus knows from the get-go. This is the opening of the sermon. And I would tell you plainly, anytime you want to fix your life, you want to live right, you just don't want to be a bad person, it will always stir opposition before you get into the religious aspect of it. People get mad at different. If you are meek, if you don't throw your weight around, I can promise you every single one of your friends will be like, why don't you stick up for yourself? If only you got mad, you would solve it. We have movies like Anger Management and all these other funny ones where the guy has to get ticked off and that's what'll fix his life. Or what about someone who wants to be righteous and live a moral life? The initial response they'll get is, you're too good for us. What's wrong with you? Can't hang out with us? Or even peacemakers. That can sound very pretty, but that's going to stir up resentment just by itself. Because don't they care about justice? Don't they care about my hurt? About me getting back mine? Don't you care about them getting back theirs? And all these folks who are poor in spirit, who go around moping about their sins, Well, that's spiritually unhealthy, isn't it? They should have the victory. They should be confident. And Jesus is here in these teachings reversing the world. He's telling all of his listeners that they, to be children of heaven, must quit the rat race. Oh, we say we want to get out of the rat race. But Jesus is telling us we must give up those honor games, those getting mine He's saying he won't have much use for ambition. And even here we find in the first 10 verses something that lays beyond what humans can do. Jesus has already in this initial sermon gone past what anyone can do well in the flesh. But as St. Augustine says, miracles are not contrary to nature. They're only contrary to what we know about nature. The Christian life as laid out by Jesus in these Beatitudes is the same. It's the gift of eternal life, but holiness is not contrary to life. It's not con- contrary to victory, to honor, to justice. But as Jesus will point out, as we continue to look through this sermon, as we continue to search our hearts, that that life is contrary to what we know about those things, because we know those who get theirs get ahead in life. We know that if we don't stick up for ourselves, we'll be walked all over. Jesus is saying, let them walk. For Christ knows his Father. He knows these promises and he knows what he is asking people to do. Bonhoeffer says Christ, when he calls a man, calls him to die but he adds later so that he might live. So I leave you again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Envy the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Envy. Think it's the good life for those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The happiest men on earth are the meek, for they will inherit it. You are on your way. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you'll be filled. The only folks who get it are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. The best men out of all of us, the best women out of all of us, are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And the only person who, man, I wish I could be them, is the person who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is the word and the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of your Son and the fact he's come to show us the good life. As we continue to investigate what this good life means, this self-sacrifice, this unselfish way of living, may you show forth by your Holy Spirit the freedom and the goodness that comes. For you have promised if we're upset with the world, You're going to fix it. If we show ourselves to be peacemakers, there will be peace. If we are poor in spirit, you'll give us every reward and blessing that there is. Lord Jesus Christ, you yourself knew you only could preach this sermon because of your amazing faith that God would provide everything that you would never want, that you would never need. Lord Jesus Christ, may you show forth that love to these listeners today. May we all search our hearts and redeem our covenant that we made when we were baptized or when we became your disciples. We ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.